Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. This is our online home for teaching and preaching content, and a place where we want to connect students to Christ and church community. We hope you come to our weekend services and our weekday small group ministry called Corners. These two ministries are a great way to connect with students on campus and our church. For more information, follow us on social media, or check out our website at www.cornerstoneisu.org. Now, here's the sermon this week. You know, the, uh, the psalm that Matt, Matt read from uh, earlier, um, Psalm 25, verse 3, it says, Indeed, no one, no one who hopes in you will be put to shame. I've been meditating on that even this morning, and, uh, and that's true. No one who hopes in God will be put to shame. Would you guys pray with me? Um, Lord, we, we, uh, we gather here, Lord, to, to meet with you. Father, I, just, I ask that you would just speak uh, to, 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 the, to the deepest part of, of our hearts and our, and our lives. God, might this be a time of, of refreshment, Lord? Would this be a time where we, Lord, where we can fall on you and be broken? Uh, Lord, that, that you would, uh, would love us immensely today, this week, Lord, that we would cast our cares on you because you care about what happens to us, Peter says. And Lord, his experience of you and your mighty grace is something that we can read and take a lot from, God, that you are a loving God. So Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, we treasure you the most. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for this, even this last week. And we thank you most of all for Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so it's happened to me uh, a number of times while driving with my family. We travel a lot. My parents live in North Carolina. We, uh, we travel to, uh, out to Colorado for a leadership training program that happens in the summers that you guys will hear more about that you can be a part of as well. Um, um, we, Michelle's family, uh, Michelle's brother lives in Phoenix, and in this particular trip we're traveling out to, uh, out to Phoenix. But, but often it will happen while I'm driving, and maybe you guys have this experience too, where this car will just pass you in the left lane going like 90 or 90. I mean, it's almost like you're standing still. Does that happen to you? And you're like, geez, good night. And then five minutes down the road, you see the car on the shoulder in front of a cop car stopped. And, and I don't know what it is, but in that moment, something happens inside of me. It's like I turn into this self-righteous monster. You know, I'll think, you know, it, it'll be like, ha ha, sucker. You know, I won't say it out loud, but there's this little thrill of delight that I get. I'm like, you deserve that. See ya, you know, as you pass by, right? Because that's justice right there, right? That's justice. But there was this one time. One time. I don't know why these... The most injustice I feel must be while travel, while driving, okay? I don't have road rage, but, but I feel it sometimes. And, and there's this one time in Oklahoma when this cop car was passing me on the left, and I was going to let him pass. Um, and then, uh, and then I, was, I was behind this other car and getting closer, and I was going to switch lanes and get behind him. But he stops, and he, like, blocks me in. Michelle, you were there. Remember that? And I'm traveling. I'm like, what is this guy doing? I'm clearly not doing the speed limit at all. But he just kind of just hung there for a second. And then I had to slow down because I was approaching this other car behind me. I slowed down, gave it some distance. What's going on? About a minute later, he 
He slows down. He does a slam on his brake. Pulls behind me, and I'm going, what is going on? Lights go on, and he pulls me over. He asks me to get out of the car, and we walk around to the back. And, uh, and he says, uh, I, don't want, I don't want the kids to hear me say this. Do you know what would have happened if the car in front of you slammed on its brakes at 70 miles an hour? I've seen bodies that have to get scraped off the pavement because of people like you. He's pointing his finger. And he started just ranting, and he asked me, why was I tailing the other car in front of me? I said, well, that wasn't my plan, but you pulled up in front of the side of me. And then I, I couldn't get over, so I had to slow down. And he stops me. He says, oh, I knew you were going to blame this on me. <laughs> get in the car. So he pulls me into the cop car, right? And this is SUV, and I'm sitting there. And he just stares out the window. <laughs> Give me your driver's license. I'm going to have to run your ID. But before he did, he looked at me. He said, what am I going to find? What am I going to find out when I run this? Is there anything that I need to know about you before I do? What was the, when was the last time you got a ticket? I said, well, I don't think you're going to find anything interesting. Uh, and I think the last ticket I got was, uh, I was 19 for speeding. It was 20 years ago. You better be telling the truth. <laughs> and just more wasting time. He just stand there and he just kind of looks out the window. And I'm just going, what is going on? And finally he left her. It felt like five minutes, but maybe it was another minute. Picks up the radio and he calls it in, my name and whatever else. And then there's just five minutes of silence. And he's just staring out the window, just kind of glancing at me every once in a while. And, uh, and then this voice comes back, and I don't know what the, she said, but, but uh, that he says, okay, thank you. It was vindication. You know, it was all clear, but I was a little nervous. I was like, what did I do? Like, is there anything that I did, like, you know, that the, the long arm of the law is going to find out? But, um, um, but I was like, again, I was like, sucker, <laughs> you know? It's exactly what I said. And, uh, he's, and, uh, and I said, is there anything else you want to know? And then in a frustrated voice, he began shaming me telling this guy. And then he handed me an official warning. And he said, listen, I don't know how you people in Illinois drive, but you don't drive like this in Oklahoma. Wow. But have you felt that before? I mean, have you, have you experienced like just injustice? Whether, you know, whether it's that guy or girl who's like, oh, hey, buddy, hey, buddy. And they skip like 10 in front of you in a line and you've been waiting for that sandwich, you know, for a long time or something like that. Or when somebody cuts you off in traffic. And then gives you the bird. You know, it's like, what are, you, what are you doing that for? You cut me off. Or maybe maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, at some point just cheats on you and doesn't really care. You know, we've all experienced slights. We've all experienced injustice. We've all experienced, we've all experienced something. And, and I, don't mean, I don't mean those, you know, who are self-centered and just complain about how they're not getting their own way. I mean, real injustice. We, we see it. Things that touch just a very, like a moral nerve. We're, we're experiencing it right now again, continually in America. Just the, the racial and the, and the socioeconomic tension that, you know, I felt the last three to five years. But you can go all the way back, you know, from me into the, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, the L.A. race riots. What's happened in Charlottesville recently just has us crying out for justice. It has many of us saying, God, where are you? And we look at these events here, and then, and then we can kind of look globally too. 
You know, the little boys and girls who are in sweatshops making bricks or some of the clothing that you wear. The, the, the little girls who are sold into, you know, sex trafficking so that rich people from Europe and America can go over and just abuse them. You've got countries that are racked by just tribal warfare, like in Sudan and Nigeria. Joseph Kony, what he's systematically done, just stealing young boys and girls and giving them crack and making them go be soldiers. Kim Jong-un, the guy's crazy in North Korea and what he's done just to the whole, that North subcontinent. Poverty and food crisis that touches every single place. Not only globally, but maybe right here in our own families. Just has us crying out, going, God, where are you? So we're hit by illness and disease and cancer. People probably, you know, that are down in, in southeastern Texas right now just saying, God, why didn't you stop the hurricane? We're all asking, God, if you're good. God, if you are good, why is there so much injustice in the world? Why do we experience it? God, if you're good, why did my parents get divorced? Why did you take my friend from me? Why did you take a, a family member? Why did you give my brother or sister or, you know, allow, allow my, my grandparents, my grandma to get cancer? You know, the psalmists have asked the same thing. You're asking that question, they've asked the same thing with a little caveat, a little twist in it. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph, is saying not only do bad things seemingly happen to good people, but good things happen to wicked people. Verses 3 and 4, he says, For I, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. He's saying, God, these wicked people, they, they have a good life. Fat and sleek. That's good slang right there, right? What does that translate into today? I don't know. Is there? Is there? Huh? Thick? Man, somebody's living, you know, Anna's living the thick life. Is that what it is? I don't even know what that means. No? It's wrong. What is that? What did I just say? Correct me later. I'm, I'm a little old school. Oops. Oh. Anna, can you pick up my water bottle? I kicked it over. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Verse 12. Fat and sleek. We'll get back. Fat and sleek, okay? I don't know. The word of God. Verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked. These are the wicked. They're always at ease. The increase in riches. He's just noting how unjust, how, how unfair life seems to be. And when we're stuck in this place, you know, when we see this, when we experience it, sometimes many of us, when we do, we, we just want to throw our hands up. We just give up. Like, why do the wicked increase? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why is there so injustice? God, why, if you're good, why don't you do something about it? And we're like, well, who cares? I'm just going to give up. I don't care anymore. Some of us flip the other way. We're like, well, you know what? If that's the case, I'm just going to look out for number one. Become a hedonist. And I'm just going to live for pleasure. I'm going to get the most out of life because, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm going to screw whoever I can to get to the top. It doesn't matter. Just care about me. 
Some of us fight back. It's good. You know, we see that. But some of us, we just fight the symptoms. We fight injustice like it's not a spiritual matter, too. You see, the narrative of Scripture, the story of Scripture, is that God is not the source of injustice. We are. I remember a number of years ago, a young man, and we'll just call him Adam, he came to one of our corners. And he just made it really clear, you know, I'm an atheist, I don't believe this stuff. I just, you know, somebody invited me, and I just figured, you know, I would just come here and dialogue with you. So after, after the dialogue was over, you know, and the conversation was over, we were eating, you know, snacks and something like that. And I just said, you know, tell me, well, what is it? You know, you're an atheist. You, you, have to, you, you have to have good reasons why you just say God doesn't even, not that there can't be a God. God doesn't even exist. Help me understand that. Because I have reasons why I believe that Jesus Christ is personal. And I'll tell you about that. But I want to know your story. And he said, you know what? This is his main criticism. Main criticism. Why doesn't, if God, if your God is so good, why doesn't he do something with his goodness? Like what, I ask? Like feed starving people. Oh, there's something in my bag. I forgot. Anna, can you bring my bag to me too? <laughs> this is what happens when you're halfway here, you know? Thank you. My big helper. Gold stars. Oh, no. <laughs> Anna, just come stand here before me. All right, got it, got it. So like, like what I asked. Why doesn't he do something good with his goodness? Like what I asked. He said, feed starving children. Get water to those people who just need water. Help babies. I mean, help children. God is good. Then why are people starving? So I just, I just asked him. So what are you doing about that? What do you mean, he said. What are you doing about those things you pointed out? Are you doing anything about them? No. And I waited. So you know, the, you know the reason people are starving? is because rich people and people who have aren't giving to those who don't have. And you know, you should consider just taking God off the hook for a moment. And just start, just start here. Just start doing something. And he said, are you doing anything? I said, yeah. Yeah, we, we support two girls, Isabella and Eliana, through this organization called Compassion. They get, they get meals every day. They get tutoring help. And he said, well, well how can I really believe, you know, that that money's going to make a difference, that it's really going to them unless I had proof, unless somebody, you know, how do I know somebody's just not taking that money? And I went to my files and I pulled out these letters that look just like this, the one that we got the other day from our girls. And I said, like this? Proof like this? And then I sat and I read them to him. Yeah, I, I would like to... I, um, I'd like to ask you to, to, uh, to pray for my dreams, she writes. My dream is to become a tailor. I'm requesting prayers that you would help me succeed in my education, that God would provide his guidance, protection. I'm praying for my family and yours, she writes. And, th and then I showed him pictures of these kids for the last six or seven years. We've been providing the full cost of uh, cleft lip surgery and cleft palate surgery through a great organization called Smile Train. And, and then, and then, and then I went to Kiva.org. Do you guys know this? It's, it's a place that secures microfinance loans for people who just need a little edge, who need a little help. 
People like you and me can give them, loan them so that they can, I don't know, buy bananas so they can bring them to market, to buy, buy cloths so they can make clothes, to buy whatever business is that they have. And then bit by bit, they, they pay you back. Then I gave him $25. I went to Kiva. I gave him $25. I emailed it to him. And I said, man, you just got to do something. I don't care where you start. Here's $25. Just start to do something. I shared with them. I share with them how God dealt with injustice through the cross. I said, listen, God deals, he's made a decisive blow to injustice through the cross. You see, in the cross of Jesus, God solves one of the, our deepest human dilemmas. God is good. Why is there so much injustice? You see, only in the cross can we receive we desperately need. We can never get on our own. In this small sections of Rome, the small section of Romans three, we're going to be looking at. We're going to see three things. One, the cross is God's answer to injustice. Two, the cross is the display of God's righteousness. And three, the cross is God's invitation to you and me of His acceptance. You're going to see that God is good and just. That he goes to great lengths to show it. And the cross invites me and you into a relationship that is real and personal. In Romans 3, if you have it, you can get it out. Romans 3, 23 through 26. It says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. And the word just means that God is completely satisfied with what he did. That's the word propitiation. Through his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's a lot going on there. I mean, if I wish, wish we had time to just really break all of this down, but I want to point out these three things. You know, the fascinating thing about the story and the narrative of Christianity is that of all the world's religion, Christianity is the only one where God comes and suffers injustice right alongside us. Jesus came and endured the most unjust treatment, for he did nothing wrong but died a gruesome criminal's death. The word excruciating is from the Latin. It means out of the cross. It's the pain that you would feel of having your, your limbs come out of joint in that severe way. Why did he do it? And why, why did Jesus do that? I mean, couldn't there have been another way? Have you, ever, have you ever thought that? Like, God, why did you have to? Why was this your plan? Why did you do this? Couldn't there have been another plan? I mean, I've met so many people who are like, well, God, you didn't have to do that for me. You're God. You can do anything. Can't you just forgive people without all the suffering? You know, just kind of <laughs> forgiven. Couldn't you have just written, maybe, maybe just written a message in the sky and everybody who's literate can read it and just go, you know, it says, I forgive you. And if you read that, then you're forgiven. You're cool with him. Couldn't he have done that? No. No. You see, our condition is way 
too serious. The narrative of Scripture, all the way in the beginning, the result of turning away from God, this body that God gave you is made to go forever and ever and ever and ever in His presence. The result of turning away from God, saying, God, I don't want you, I don't need you, I don't need to trust you, I'm going to trust in myself, is that the consequence of turning away from God is death. And so someone or something has to die for sin. That's God's economy. It's the way it works. He could have just wrote a message. Someone has to die in order for God to be satisfied. Propitiation. That's why God is satisfied with the death of Jesus on the cross. See, God can't just overlook evil. He can't just go, well, you know, I'm just going to overlook that. He will always punish it because to overlook it, it means that he would be unjust. The consequence of sin is death. And you see in the life of Jesus what it means to be like Jesus. What Jesus taught us first and foremost is what it means to be connected with God, to have a trusting relationship within him. That's what it means to be like Jesus, is to depend on God for everything. But the death of Jesus allowed God to punish sin once for all. Jesus, being fully man, fully God, he suffered not for his own wrongdoing, for others. So that God could deal a decisive blow to the injustices that we are guilty of. He went to nothing, he stopped at nothing in order to, Bring you to him. You see, the cross is God's answer to injustice. The cross is also the display of God's righteousness. Verse 26 says it was to show his righteousness. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. So that you can say, God, you are just. You do punish sin. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It was to display his righteousness. You see, Jesus went to the cross so that no one could ever accuse God of being fickle or arbitrary. Like, well, I pick him, but not her. Them I like, but them I don't. The scripture here is talking, righteousness is talking about God's ethical behavior. You see, God is not a judge who might sentence a, you know, a thief to, you know, life in prison, but a serial killer, you know, gets a slap on the wrist, a little fine, and goes home. The cross means that he deals righteously with everyone. What's more is the cross reveals, God reveals his righteousness in the cross. What I mean is that you can see it. You can imagine it. You can, you all, you can have a picture of exactly what that looks like. Every single day. It's always before you. It isn't hidden. All, all of who he is, his love, his righteousness, his patience, his beauty, take all of who he is. And just on the cross, it means God's very active way of putting himself on display. He shows himself, his moral, ethical character, and his goodness, not in a static way, not in a way you read about, but in a very active way. 
You don't have to just merely believe that God is good and that he went to great lengths to, to, to redeem humanity from their fallenness. You, you can know it. You can see it. The cross is this dynamic unleashing of power to show himself to be all of that and more. The cross, you see, is this God putting his righteousness on display for us. And through the cross, he's the, he is the one who offers acceptance to you and I. Listen again as I read through these verses. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It means we don't measure up. We don't meet his standard. And we are justified. The word here, what it means is that God makes a legal declaration that says you're not guilty. You are guilty, but, but, but you, you're, the price has been paid completely. The debt is satisfied completely. We're justified by his grace. By his grace as a gift through, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus, this is whom God put forward as a satisfactory offering by his blood. Remember, someone or something has to die. It's to be received by faith. This was to show us that God is righteous, his moral, ethical behavior. He's righteous because he was waiting. He was being patient. You know, things weren't getting better. He passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. No one can say he's unjust. And he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The righteousness of God is seen through this redemption that is in Jesus Christ. You see, God redeems those who have faith in him, those who have turned to him, trusting themselves, you know, uh, trusting themselves or anything else. You've turned away from that. You can't trust yourself or anything else to make you right or make you good. And that God redeems, it signifies this freedom and the liberation from sin that's the root of all the injustice that is in the world. You see, Jesus came and he suffered injustice right along with us so he can renew us and make us good. God is not unjust. He stepped in in a very decisive way and he suffered a violent death in order to free us from our brokenness and from our bondage to sin. In Matthew's account of the story of the crucifixion, there's this little scene, and I, I think it just is such a beautiful picture, like a word story of what happened in the world. It says at the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies, which is the place in the temple where God resided, it was his presence. It was torn, from two, it torn in two. And what it's saying is that there's nothing else that remains between me and, and God. There's nothing else that remains between you and God. There's no distance. It is God unleashing himself. There's no barrier. The cross breaks down the barrier between us and God. And the only thing left in verse 26 is that you trust Christ. That's what faith is. It's actively saying that you need him. It's turning away from a life that's lived for you and turning from sin and, and trusting Christ, trusting that, that he is righteous and that he's good. You know, ordinarily people are declared righteous in human courts based on their good behavior. Or, you know, that is if they did good, 
right? They're declared right, but if they did evil, then they're condemned. But before God, humans are declared right. They're justified not on the basis of doing, but on the basis of believing. Now, faith saves because it looks entirely to what God has done for those who believe in him. Nothing else. Some of us, we have trouble with this. You know, you know, we come to this and we think, well, you know, I've heard this before. You know, or, or we come to this and we just, we say, well, you don't know what I've done, Mike. You're, you don't understand what's been done to me. Somehow you believe that if God really knew who you were, if God really knew who you were or what you're capable of, that he wouldn't have gone to the cross. You're, you're, you're beyond redemption. Listen, God knows who you are. God knows that you've screwed up. He knows that you're going to screw up. Even this year, this month, maybe even today, you're going to be drawn to something that's, that's wicked. But, but that's what the cross is all about. That's the whole point of the cross, is you're going to fail. You're going to drift. You're going to feel dirty. You're going to do things that, that, that leave you ashamed. And God shows us, He demonstrates to each one of us through the event of the cross, His tremendous love and His personal pursuit of you. His mighty love for you. His tender love for you. And so when you experience injustice in life, what do you do? If you understand kind of the, the, the moment in that event of the cross, you know that God is good. You, you know that He's good. You have this continual picture of His goodness and His pursuit. You know that nothing can separate Him from you. You know that the curtain was torn in two and that He's poured His Spirit out on you and in you so that you will be with him forever and ever and ever. That's why you can listen to God's word and agree. Don't repay evil with evil. Repay evil with good. You can do that. And the only reason why you can do that is because you know that you can never be taken advantage of. Listen, there are no many, there are, there are no longer any raw deals for anyone who trusts in Jesus. Never. God made you a co-heir with Christ. Does it get any better than that? It doesn't mean that you walk through life just letting people walk all over you. Jesus didn't. In the garden, he said, don't you know, he said to Peter and the disciples, that I could call legions of angels to come and just tear these people apart. But it does mean that you have no, you keep no record of wrongs. You don't have to seek vengeance. That's God's role. It doesn't mean, too, if you believe in Jesus, that you'll never suffer or be slighted. You will. You might be. But your hope isn't here. Your hope is in God who is mighty to save. That's what you do with injustice in your own life. 
You filter it through the cross. But what do you do when you see or experience injustice? What do you do? What do you what are you gonna do when you see it this week, this year? Man, you do something. You do something. Right? Vote. <laughs> okay? Do something. Lift people's burdens. When you see it, speak up. Don't be a jerk about it, but step into it. Listen, suffer for injustice. If you're a Christ follower, listen, suffer for injustice. Jesus did. I almost got into my first bar fight this summer if some pastors didn't gently just kind of pull me back um, between some patrons. Um, you know, if they just didn't let it play out. Um, we, were, we were at this pub in Colorado, and these two guys began going at it, and they were a lot bigger than me. One dude was just staring this other guy down really uncomfortably. And uh, while the other guy was just yelling and getting in his face, and uh, he was just getting louder and louder, and I'm just trying to eat my nachos, right? <laughs> and everyone's ignoring this. And, uh, and it bothered me. Anyway, um, uh, the owner finally stepped in. Um, listen, Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is, that is in heaven. When I read that, I, I see that to me. God, you have, you have renewed me and given me your spirit and your ability that I can pull your kingdom. The values of your kingdom will be expressed here on earth. Oh, guys, God, I, I pray that that would be through our church, that we would be pulling and expressing the values of Jesus and his justice here through, through this church to a very watching world. The more and more we live this way, guys, the more and more we look to a, a coming hope, a, a trust in a secure eternity, the more and more we trust in the one who loves us more than anything else. I know that the more risks we will take, the more risks we will take with our neighbors, the more risks we will take, the more places we're going to step into where God isn't king, that he might be king, that he might reign. The more and more we do that, the more we're going to see God do. And this church will be transformed. And the spaces we go into as our lives are transformed. We're going to start transforming the spaces around us because God's kingdom is always meant to have an impact more and more and more in these places, these dark places that are out there. And the more and more we will lead people to the injustice that Jesus suffered so that they would be completely justified before him and be resurrected at the final day when God comes to judge the living and the dead. Because through the cross, God completely is the one who justifies. You know, perhaps this morning, I, I don't know many of you, but perhaps this morning this kind of message, maybe it's new to you. Or maybe I've said some things in, in, in a way that, that, that are... That, are, that may lead to more questions, maybe. You're taking it in. You're thinking about it. And, and, and maybe you do have some questions or you, you want to talk about it more. I know that kind of maybe me, you know, sitting up here 
And you guys out there, maybe it seems like, you know, there's a distance between us or there's some for formality um, or that um, I, I might be hard to, uh, hard to approach. I've, I've been working on my, my resting face to be really sweet, <laughs> all right? Sometimes I look pretty intense. We're, I just want to say we're not that kind of place here in Cornerstone. I don't want to be that kind of place. I, I think 40 of you, some of you may not, of the 40 that were there uh, this week at Corner, more than 40 people were in my house this, this past week eating some killer cannoli dip that Michelle made, right? It was so good, all right? Well, okay, here's the point. The point is I'm not running out of here, okay? I'm not going to be out of here quick. I would love to talk afterwards. I really would love to, if that describes you. I'm going to stand here. Would you guys please stand with me? The band can come up as I close this in prayer. No, I'm good. Uh, Lord, to you we lift our hearts. God, would we have the picture of the cross ever before us that helps us to hope and to trust in you alone and that you are good. Lord, Romans 8.1 says that there is now, therefore, because of what you've done, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, I take that to mean that when we are in you, you have not one single condemning thought towards us. That every day is a day of mercy. Every day is your day of mercy. Even when it's hard, God, you always show us mercy. Lord, may those who are standing here, my unending prayer, may those who are standing here be present when your kingdom culminates, when you come in the fullness of who you are to bring us to be with you completely on a restored earth with resurrected bodies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.